Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome to tonight's Sydney's lockdown extension. What the next seven days look like and how much more will it cost? Why COVID's putting more young Australians in hospital. One is in ICU right now. Melbourne out the other side, the major restrictions easing across Victoria. And our workplace vaccination schemes, the key to speeding up our road out of the pandemic. But first, Friday, July 16th, that's the new date. The Greater Sydney, around 6 million people, will emerge from lockdown after 27 new cases ensured restrictions remain firmly in place. Only 13 of those were in isolation for the full infectious period. Seven for part of that time. Another seven were infectious in the community. Only the children of essential workers will return to school next week. All others will learn from home. Authorities are particularly concerned about three local government areas, Fairfield, Canterbury-Bankstown and Liverpool, with the state government considering even stricter measures in that region. Here's the Premier explaining that decision earlier today. The reason why the New South Wales government has taken this position is because we don't want to be in a situation where we are constantly having to move between lockdown, no lockdown, lockdown, no lockdown. Number of cases more than we would like to have seen. Uh, so I'm anticipating that tomorrow's number will be higher than what we've seen today. But they are at the moment concentrated in three local government areas. All right, let's bring in our Sydney reporter, Tom Saker, who's live in Fairfield tonight. Tom, good evening. Those three local government areas, that amounts to more than 100 suburbs. They are now the key areas of concern for New South Wales tonight. Yeah, that's right, Michael. The outbreak has moved west from its original starting point in Bondi and those areas of concern are the three local government areas, Canterbury, Bankstown, Liverpool and Fairfield. And what's happening in these southwestern Sydney suburbs, according to the government, uh, is non-compliance mixing between households and mingling uh, between families. Uh, the Premier is empathising with communities out here, saying... Um, that she understands that people want to see their families, adding, though, that she hasn't seen her own parents in a very long time. She wants everyone else to take on that same approach. Also a particular concern are the very low testing numbers here in southwest Sydney compared to other parts of Sydney. And Dr Kerry Chan had this message earlier today. What our focus has really turned to is southwestern Sydney. In southwestern Sydney, we have seen a number of cases across multiple households. Now, on the good news, many of those households are linked. The concern we've got, though, is the fact that by the time we get to those household cases, the rest of the household is already infected and so therefore has been unknowingly in the community infectious. 
Now, the Premier also added that what happens here in Western Sydney, in particular South Western Sydney, in the next nine to ten days will determine what it looks like for the rest of the year for the entire state. And just to illustrate how fast the virus is moving, there are a number of other venues that have been added to the exposure list tonight. Some of them include a My Health at Burwood, an Aldi in Canterbury, Commonwealth Bank ATMs in Burwood, Billy's Cars in Reevesby and Meat Fish in Burwood. Anyone who was at those venues at the time Uh, uh, described by uh, New South Wales Health should get tested and isolate for 14 days regardless of the results. And those venues are all over Western Sydney, not just southwest Sydney, Michael. Yeah, they are indeed. And that's probably why the Premier is indicating there's going to be more bad numbers in the morning. Tom, meanwhile, though, bad news for parents and uncertainty for teachers. What's, What's the plan for the start of Term 3 next week? Well, Michael, uh, school will effectively be closed next week. There'll be online learning for all students, uh, except for those whose parents are essential workers uh, from Tuesday to Friday. The Premier insisting that normal school will resume on July 19th. Uh, Bad timing for HSC students who are about to commence their trial examinations, but hopefully they are back at school the week after next, Michael. Indeed. All right, Tom Saker in Fairfield, Sydney, thank you for that. The New South Wales Premier came under fire today over the financial stress endured by business owners across the state as the lockdown continues. Let's bring in the state political reporter on New South Wales, Alex Hunt. Now, Alex, good evening to you. No JobKeeper this time. Did Gladys Berejiklian offer them any additional support? Evening, Michael. No financial support from Gladys Berejiklian, and really just words of encouragement, which uh, business groups said today means very little to them without any customers. What you're seeing in uh, the CBD tonight, the heart of Sydney, is really what it looks like during the day. Very few businesses open and very few people going into them. So without any money coming in, businesses, uh, businesses are saying they simply can't pay their bills and pay their staff. Industry groups estimating today the impact of the two-week lockdown with the extension of another week will be as significant as what we saw during the two-month lockdown last year. And the key reason for that, they say, is because there is no job keeper this time around. And the Commonwealth was very quick to reject the request from New South Wales to bring back JobKeeper, saying New South Wales simply has to uh, live with the, the support that was given to other states during their lockdowns. And workers in New South Wales say it's not really enough to uh, live on in what is Australia's most expensive city, Michael. Yeah, and Alex, it was an entirely unanimous decision to go into lockdown within the government, but the Premier tried to take a step forward saying she'll soon reveal the city's roadmap out of lockdown. That's right, Michael. We've promised that in the next couple of days. What Gladys Berejiklian uh, is her blueprint to get us out of lockdown with some restrictions staying in place and then gradually uh, easing those over time to reduce the risks of further outbreaks. But as you touched on there, not everyone happy with this plan. In the crisis cabinet meeting yesterday, it's been revealed that the Treasurer, Dominic Perrottet, was fiercely opposed to extending the lockdown. So we really got to move away from this elimination strategy to a suppression strategy and start to live with this virus. Mm. Also, questions asked today about whether or not we would have needed this lockdown uh, extended at all if the lockdown was brought in sooner. And the response from the chief health officer didn't really inspire much confidence. She said only that it probably wouldn't have made a difference because the virus had already infiltrated uh, several workplaces and they think that it would have spread regardless. And uh, it's expected that would do little to silence detractors of the approach in New South Wales, uh, particularly other state Labor premiers. Michael. Yeah, look, let's, let's have a look at you full screen behind you right now. Very briefly, Alex. That tells the story, doesn't it? Bar an empty tram or two, nothing around. 
That's right. As I said before, very few shops are opening, obviously, at night and certainly during the day. So, and, and the customers just aren't going in there. They've been told they can stay open. But, of course, if they do that, their staff have to work and they have yeah. to be paid. And if there's no money coming in, they can't be paid, Michael. It's a, a perilous situation for many businesses in Sydney tonight. A lot of rent there behind you being paid, but uh, not a great way to pay it with no business. Mm -hmm. All right. Alex Hart there in Sydney. Thank you. Another week of lockdown means another week of closures for businesses and no work for thousands in Greater Sydney, made more difficult for some by those school closures right across the board. For a look at the cost of the lockdown and the support available, Network Finance Editor Jim Acton is here. Jim, good evening to you. How much is this lockdown going to set Sydney back? Well, the rough estimate is that it's going to cost around a billion dollars a week. So we're looking at $3 billion, but of course certain industries and certain sets of people bear the brunt much more heavily. The hospitality industries staring down the barrel of around $700 million worth of cancellations. Uh, you have the CBD, which is uh, virtually shut. We're looking at uh, hotels there taking around a $20 million hit. And if you think about different segments of the workforce, casual workers have it very tough. There's almost half a million of them in Sydney, mm. each earning just over $600 a week on average. So extrapolate that by three weeks, you have almost $2,000. Uh, so these are some groups that are particularly hard hit. Added to that, lost confidence, lost productivity, which doesn't show up immediately in the numbers, but does have an ongoing pernicious effect. You've been speaking with the CEO of Business New South Wales. What's his take? He's very concerned primarily about the mental health of so many business owners and business managers. Uh, around 20% of businesses don't have enough cash to make it further than a month. And if we look at the shops that seem luckier because they have actually been allowed to open throughout this, he says that that's not really as helpful as it sounds. Have a listen. It's a real false sense of hope because they're open, they're paying staff, but there is no foot traffic and therefore there is no money coming in, there is no revenue. They're going backwards, they are losing money just like everybody else. Yeah, and Gemma, it's for that reason that we've heard from Alex in his report that the New South Wales Treasurer was dead against uh, the lockdowns, in fact, because the government now has to consider extra financial support for, for a lot of businesses and affected residents, right? Yes, so as we know, the, the New South Wales Treasurer appealed today to his federal counterpart, Josh Frydenberg, to extend JobKeeper. That was uh, rejected. Uh, and it's partly because there's so little support available now. Uh, since JobKeeper ended, that came to a close the same time as rent relief and other support measures finished back in March. The way that it stands at the moment is that the federal government will pay for workers and the state government will pay for businesses. And so what we have in place at the moment is the New South Wales government offering up to $10,000 to affected businesses. But the criteria is very, very strict. So many businesses don't find themselves eligible. On the federal side, uh, workers can apply for up to $500 if they're not working because of lockdown. But again, really strict criteria. So many people aren't eligible. And this is why we have seen the state say that it is considering some additional support yeah. for businesses, but we haven't seen that yet. Bottom line is, it's costly. It is. Yeah. All right, Jimmy, thank you. Thanks, Michael. There are some concerns today around the number of infectious cases requiring treatment. As of today, there are 37 people in hospital with COVID-19 in New South Wales. Seven of them are in intensive care and two of those require ventilation. Demonstrating the danger of the Delta variant for younger people, 14 of those in hospital are under the age of 55 and eight under the age of 35. Of the seven people in ICU, one is in their 30s. I'm joined now by the World Health Organisation advisor, Professor Mary Louise McClaws. Great to have you on the show again. Let me ask you this, an ICU patient in their 30s, Mary Louise, should that be a stark warning for younger Australians who just assume they're not going to get this virus? Look, it should be, and it should also be a warning for the authorities uh, to really act fast uh, every time there's a Delta 
uh, variant uh, loose in the community. Uh, we need to learn from other countries as well. And the UK have identified that uh, patients with Delta are twice as likely to be hospitalized than with Alpha, and Alpha was bad enough. So we need to take this one very seriously. And of course, a lot of the um, admissions to hospital in the UK are not just the elderly, it's across the age group. Now, obviously, the lockdown extended across New South Wales. Going off the case numbers, do you think harsher restrictions should, in fact, be enforced? Well, I think that uh, the restrictions need to be clarified. Um, people are not understanding, particularly um, uh, retailers, what constitutes an essential service. And other things that need to be clarified is when you should wear a mask all the time, except for when you're not on a boat. On a, on a bike, sorry, and, and you're not um, uh, jogging. Uh, you need to wear that mask when you're outside. Instant you leave your front door. Uh, try not to go indoors or spend too long indoors in, in shopping malls or shops. Um, you know, take this very, very seriously. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, we don't give a drivers um, their own uh, interpretation of what's safe driving. And we can't expect um, Sydney siders to have to interpret for themselves um, all these rules. They need to be very, very clear and uh, very, very um, easy to interpret. Students won't be returning to classrooms next week, despite the fact that they're originally classified as a lower risk group. But as you're saying, that information is shifting around younger people and some startling studies in the UK reveal why shutting schools in an outbreak is a good idea. Was it the right move from the Premier? Absolutely, it was the right move. Uh, we have found from the UK uh, experience uh, that the uh, five-year-olds to 12-year-olds are really pushing um, this uh, Delta strain. Uh, the 13-year-olds to 17-year-olds, a little less, uh, but certainly in primary schools, uh, they're at great risk of acquiring it just as much as the 18 to 24 year olds. Mm. So across that young group, um, they're uh, hyper socially connected and we don't know if there's any other reason for them acquiring this, but their family clusters are not the only right. uh, reason. What do you think might be the reasoning just briefly? I mean, it sounds like a silly question, but why does Delta become so transmissible or infectious in them versus the previous strain of COVID? Well, this, pre this current um, mutation, we believe, has learned how to sit on an ACE2 receptor site uh, with great deal of stability and then be able to penetrate or fuse very easily. Previously, um, children were at less risk because we believe they have uh, fewer ACE2 receptor sites or a really good immune response to uh, virus. Um, but this uh, virus, has learned to get around this, even if there are fewer ACE2 receptor sites in children. All right. Lots of extra attention needed right now to this Delta variant. There's no doubt about it. Mary-Louise McClure, Professor, thank you very much. Stay safe. Today, the Federal Treasurer announced an agreement with some of Australia's biggest employers to reward their staff and customers who get vaccinated. Here's the Treasurer speaking earlier today. And we were joined by more than 30 of Australia's leading CEOs, CEOs from Coles, from the Commonwealth Bank, from Telstra, West Farmers, 
Virgin, Qantas and many other companies. Airlines, we're talking about free frequent flyer points and, and, and other benefits, for example. Um, I think it's more than a snag at Bunnings. That's a shame, Mark Riley. A snag at Bunnings and a free one at that for a vaccine mightn't be such a bad thing. <laughs> Sounds all right to me. Yeah, look, thanks for joining us tonight from Canberra. Look, the opposition today, Riles, has said that the, you know, the government's palming off the vaccination responsibility to big businesses. Is that a fair criticism? Yeah, Labor's also saying that he's palming off the blame to big business, so already having brought the military in to run uh, the vaccination, uh, vaccination rollout, Michael. Look, uh, the government says what it's actually doing is enlisting the help of business to get the vaccination rollout running and going now that supply is starting to ramp up. So you've got expertise in, among these big companies in the areas of storage and transport and logistics that are desperately needed in the vaccine rollout, but also in communications and messaging and doesn't the government need some help there at the moment? So that's, that's what the government's looking for. And also the workplace vaccination programs that some of these big companies are going to offer to their employees and also some of their customers with some of those incentives. Uh, I think the biggest incentive, though, is probably your health, isn't it? Absolutely. In your take, though, that was a right good step today. It seemed to be a step in the right direction. Yeah, look, it is a good step. People ask reasonably enough why it wasn't done earlier yeah. and, you know, why hasn't business been involved in the vaccine rollout from the get-go? Well, the reason is that uh, you're creating demand by bringing them in and you don't have the supply to meet it. So that would have been a critical problem. Yeah. The supply is now ramping up, the demand is going to be met and business is going to help that, Michael. All right, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, front and centre today, which raises the question, where's the Prime Minister right now? The Prime Minister left Canberra here on the weekend. He went to Kirribilli House. My understanding is he's been working from Kirribilli House there this week. Lots of meetings, Zoom meetings and some personal meetings. And of course, he's a bit restricted like everybody in Sydney through the lockdown. But he, he will re-emerge tomorrow. He's having a news conference tomorrow in Sydney. Now, my mail is that that will be to announce the, the head of the Royal Commission into Veterans Suicide. And I'm reliably informed that that person will be the former Deputy Police Commissioner in New South Wales, Wales Nick Caldas, who's yeah. held in high regard here in, yeah. in Canberra to head that Royal Commission. So families wanted, and the RSL and some other organisations are a little bit um, cool on the idea, but look, it will be there now. Yeah. Those people will get their chance to tell their stories and hopefully there'll be change. And that needs to happen. All right, Mark Riley in Canberra. Good as always. Thank you. Pleasure, Michael. Well, as great as Sydney remains on alert, Melbourne has enjoyed seven donut days in a row and in 24 hours will have reduced restrictions. Here's Victoria's Health Minister speaking earlier. Each of the steps that are taken are proportionate to the risk that we're facing. We still have risks. We still have a very low vaccination uh, rate compared to our OECD um, countries that we like to compare ourselves to. We still have the risk of hotel quarantine. Well, let's go to Tegan Dolding now, who joins us live from Melbourne. Tegan, hello to you. What changes this Friday? Well, it's not total freedom, unfortunately, but does very much bring Melbourne back into line with regional Victoria. I think the biggest one is probably around masks. We do still need to carry a mask when we're outside, but they're no longer needed in schools and in offices. They will still be mandatory in places, though, like supermarkets, shopping centres, the movies, and obviously public transport. Now, the home visits are still capped at that at 15 a day because we know health experts know that there's so much transmission of COVID 
inside the home, whereas outdoor gatherings will be capped at 50. Now, a little bit of good news for wedding guests. You no longer have to wear a mask when you attend a wedding and dance floors are back, but only 50 people can boogie on the dance floor uh, at once. Another change today is to footy crowds, 75% uh, capacity at the footy and also at Melbourne theatres. We know that there'll be around 2,000 uh, patrons allowed back inside our theatres. Michael, there's also a little bit of relief too with our, our restaurants, our cafes and our gyms. All of those business owners will be breathing a bit of a sigh of relief because they are allowed to have uh, more people uh, back inside their businesses. The rule there is yeah. one person per two square metres and these rules will be in place for the next two weeks. A little bit of nervousness note though from the experts as uh, yeah. a lot of holiday makers with school holidays finished start to head back in from uh, interstate. Indeed, a lot of relief in Melbourne and hoping that Sydney keeps that Delta virus contained. You don't want to go back into lockdown again. You've been through it too many times. <laughs> All right, Tegan, in Melbourne, thank you for that. Ten Queensland hospital workers are in isolation tonight after urgently treating a COVID-19 patient who went into anaphylactic shock. The group at the Sunshine Coast University Hospital had no time to put on their PPE gear, so they've been forced into a two-week home quarantine. They have been praised for their life-saving effort. A Melbourne driver has cheated death by seconds after his car stalled crossing train tracks in Spotswood in Melbourne's west. When boom grates uh, closed on either side of the vehicle, the man ran for his life as a city-bound commuter train approached, as you can see there. The train driver slowed enough for a low-impact collision and thankfully no one was injured. Here's some really good news. Kate Campbell and Paddy Mills have been named tonight as the first dual Australian flag bearers for the Olympics since 1980. Both athletes will be competing in their fourth Olympic Games with the opening ceremony in Tokyo now just 16 days away. History's going to be made with basketball legend Paddy the first Aboriginal to carry the flag and Kate the first female Aussie swimmer to be given the honour. I just think that this is a, a moment in history and a moment in time and I want to make sure that I, I soak it up as much as possible. This will be the first time that you know a male and female get to um, share that experience and share this experience. I think it's it, it's it's really unique. It's really cool. I'm looking forward to be able to share this moment with with someone. Forced out of Sydney due to lockdown, the NRL has confirmed State of Origin 3 will be held in Newcastle, or Bluecastle, as it's been renamed for the first time ever. Michelle Bishop, our Chief League reporter, is at the Blues training camp in Kingscliff on the New South Wales north coast. Shell, good evening to you. This is really exciting news for regional New South Wales. Good evening, Marsh. Some very pumped up Novocastrians tonight. 20,000 fans will watch Game 3 of this year's State of Origin series unfold. In that crowd, there will be no Sydney siders, uh, nobody from the uh, Central Coast, the neighbouring uh, suburb there, and of course, nobody who is currently in lockdown in New South Wales. Now, on advice from New South Wales Health, the ARLC Commission today opted to switch that July 14 match scheduled for Stadium Australia to McDonald Jones Stadium in in Newcastle, obviously because of the COVID cluster at the moment. Look, this has been a very expensive exercise. It will cost millions in revenue, but it was the safest option. And obviously, uh, the big thing for the NRL was to have as many New South Wales supporters able to watch the match unfold and, of course, yeah. celebrate uh, the, the series win. Uh, obviously not a whitewash just yet, but um, they've actually claimed the series already against uh, Queensland. Now, it's a good move. A huge coup for Nui as well. All right, Michelle, thank you for that. Thanks, Marsh. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Tonight, millions of New South Wales residents are coming to terms with at least another week in lockdown, as we've been reporting, as the Premier Gladys Berejiklian revealed more restrictions could come into place if case numbers don't start dropping. Let's bring in our panellists for tonight, Dee Madigan and Jess Eva. Welcome to both of you. Let's get stuck into this first. Some experts believe complacency could be the greatest threat to overcoming the recent outbreak. Dee, let me ask you first. We learned today that only 13 out of today's 27 new cases were in isolation during their fully infectious period. Do you think we've, we've hit a bit of pandemic fatigue? Are we getting complacent? Yeah, I think particularly in New South Wales, I think the other states are, are better at, um, at following the rules. I think also, though, there's just more Sydney-siders. So people say we're at Baywalk the other day, you know, around Inner West, mm. and they're doing the right thing in that they're outside and they're exercising, but there's thousands of them on quite a small part, you know, pathway, and you just go, oh, oh, this is not good as well. So I know everyone wants to exercise, but I think we need to think a little bit about how close we are to people. Yeah, Jess, I think uh, half of Sydney has found exercise all over again and exercising in places they've, they've never been to before because that's one of the things you can get out and do. Some penalties, though, and the police have been enforcing them, but do you think people have not been taking the stay-at-home orders seriously? Yeah, I can see a complete difference between this lockdown and the lockdowns that we've had previously. I do think complacency is an issue. I saw, I uh, got a photo the other day of, um, it was a, a full park here in Sydney. There was probably 200 children and 150 parents. Probably only mm. three of those parents were wearing masks. And I think that we, we just forget how important it is and we don't want to go through this again. So we just need to remember that. But for me, the one good thing is with three kids at home, my incentive to exercise, to get out of the house and run away from it has never been higher. I think I'm fitter now than I have been in my whole life. Dee, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me ask you about this other issue during the week. The St George Dragons plays and the team barbecue. Paul Vaughan sacked, $50,000 fine, his $800,000 a year contract ripped up. <clears throat> what do you make of these guys? I, I, these NRL players, every time, it's just like... I feel a little bit sorry for him, but not much, because it wasn't like it, this came out of the blue and they just sacked him like that. This was his third offence. I think another one was some sort of breach of quarantine. He lied about being there. There was a sexting thing as well. These entitled young men who think they can get away with anything, that the rules don't apply to them while everyone else is doing the right thing, well, you know, stuff you guys. You can't do that. Jess, $300,000 in fines across all the players involved in this party. What do you think of the punishment? I mean, they were silly. And what else was the club going to do? In regards to Paul Vaughan, you know, he being sacked was probably the only thing that the club could do. Um, he's a talented guy. He's going to pick up another contract. He's so talented. What a waste of talent. I don't think it was entitlement. I think it was just not thinking in the moment and these guys, you know, just needing that social interaction and just not thinking about it logically. But we're in lockdown. They're not above the law. They're not above yeah. the rules. They've got and an entitled opinion. And they're not 16. Opinion. They're not but 16. These... 
I know, but these guys, they live in a world where whatever they want, they get, and I understand that that is, te- is deemed as entitlement, but you see these guys, what, you want a car, you want, you know, a girlfriend, you want a dinner, it's all for free, he's a sweatshirt, and then that, 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 that feeling of being able to do whatever you want comes so quickly to these players, and they soon forget that they've got, you know, that they've got to be facing the law like everybody else. Do you know, I will say this, though, the majority of league players and they, they look they get a bad rap because in these occasions they do mm. really stupid things the majority do the right thing though don't they d look they do except we weren't talking one or two players at this party were we there was a significant <laughs> yeah. a number of them and not one of them said hey no so uh, you know Unfortunately, with the NRL, there does seem to be not all of them, not all NRL players, but too many of them mm. think, you know, that they behave like absolute prats. Let's talk about this petition going around to block Anastasia Palaszczuk from flying to Tokyo. It has gained a lot of momentum online, particularly from Australians who are stranded overseas, very angry at the Queensland Premier's you know, reduction of international arrivals. Uh, the Premier claims it would be an absolute disaster if she didn't fly to Japan for these Olympic talks. Um, Dee, is she stretching that a bit too much? Look, no. John Coates, who's the head of the Olympic Committee, has said that it's a disaster if she doesn't go. Now, he's the head of our Olympic Committee, our our bid. So if he says that, presumably he's in that position because he knows what he's talking about. So that's important, I think. The other thing, this is worth $5 billion to the Queensland economy. That is huge. And I think the third bit of this is the most important. She's not going alone. There's also Richard Colbeck and Adrian Schrinner. Now, he's the mayor of Brisbane and Richard Colbeck is the sports minister. They're both Liberals. No one is mentioning that. And we see this continual thing lately where Labor premiers seem to cop all this flack that the Liberals don't. Jess, do you think the Premier's being hypocritical here? I do, actually. I think that there would be a lot of families at the moment that weren't allowed into Queensland to say goodbye to their loved ones as they were dying that would be discussed, that would be really upset that Anastasia is decided to go overseas in order to network. Now, I understand that economically for Queensland, this is probably the right decision. And I think that, but you have to be sensitive to your past behaviour and act towards that. She's had 30,000 petitions to say, don't go. We don't want you to go. I think it's more than that Um, now. It's It's well above 50,000, in fact. Oh, is there? Yeah. 50,000, you can't go against what the Australian public are saying. And that is, if you've already had a strict... Uh, if you've had a strict opinion on what people can and can't do to the point where they're not being able to see their loved ones while they're dying, then unfortunately you can't go overseas. All right. Well, the both of you, um, Dee, briefly, the week ahead in lockdown, what have you got planned or what don't you have planned? (laughs) Um, a lot of work, struggling with the internet. Oh, my God, we need decent <laughs> MBN in this country. And I'm, I'm yeah. kind of addicted to jigsaw puzzles. It's my lockdown thing is I have to do jigsaw puzzles and my kids try to come in at the end of it when I'm almost done. I'm like, no, if you weren't here at the beginning, yeah. you're not coming in for the glory bit at the end. And, Jess, you've chosen to do uh, lockdown and dry July at the same time. It's a test. What an idiot. If you think that, that that NRL player made a bad life choice by having the party, <laughs> try and make a life choice of dry July. And, Fred, come here with these little ones. Oh, you got your munchkins. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell it. you what, did you see that? I just pushed him out Get of the way. Get him out of the way now. Oh, it's good to see him. Yeah. All right, well, thank you for introducing us as well. All right, D, Jess, enjoy lockdown. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Now, Jim Racton's back with a look at the markets. 
Thanks, Michael. Our local share market defied a more general wariness among global investors that was evident overnight in the US and ricocheted throughout Asia today. Ignoring that sentiment, the ASX 200 jumped by nearly 1%. Traders stateside are waiting for the minutes from the Federal Reserve's last meeting to drop tonight to give them some more clues as to how the central bank is thinking about inflation and potential interest rate hikes in the US. Oil dipped sharply after OPEC plus negotiations between key oil producing countries fell apart late Monday, but it has started to clamber back in this session. Meanwhile, the Aussie dollar is steadying after tumbling back below 75 US cents earlier today. Michael. Well, thank you for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Have a great night.